You're listening to Virgin Territory, a podcast brought to you by SHIP, a nonprofit organization dedicated to providing culturally inclusive, medically accurate, and pleasure-guided sexuality education, therapy, and professional training to adults. I'm your host, Josh, aka The White Heart, and let's get at it. Welcome, Aisha. Thank you for having me, Josh. I'm really excited to chat with you. It's a pleasure. Uh, For our listeners, you want to introduce yourself a little? Absolutely, yes. I am Maisha Battle. I am a clinical sexologist, and for general purposes, I'm known as a sex and dating coach. I am someone who works remotely right now, completely, so I literally see people all over the world, which is really exciting, and... I basically have the pleasure of helping people improve their sex and dating lives, which I take very seriously, but it's also a lot of fun. I bet it is. So, Maisha, we have a number of people who come on the podcast who are uh, in the sex education field for different reasons. Um, always curious as to find out what is what is the reason that you joined this field? What's your background a little bit like? Yeah, I, you know... A lot of folks who gravitate towards this work have a similar story. So I'm sure your listeners have probably heard some form of, you know, what I've what I have to share. But um, I've just always been interested in sex, um, even as a young person. And especially when it came time for my personal sex education to happen, um, I had the experience like so many do of having a very censored sex ed experience. And um, I just didn't feel like that was right. I, uh, I grew up in a time where um, there were gifted and talented programs and I was part of that. And there was this, you know, encouragement to pursue our, our quest for knowledge in a lot of different areas of life. And for whatever reason, sex was this thing that we weren't encouraged to explore or learn more or think of as like a a place of scientific inquiry even um if anything it was something that was not to be talked about shrouded in a lot of mystery and misinformation um and to be fair too like my sex education because i grew up in the south included a panel of concerned mothers going through our sex ed curriculum when we got this new textbook. And so a lot of the moms in you know my school system were up in arms about this new textbook. And they went through and took black Sharpie markers to things that they didn't think that we should be reading about. Um, and those were the textbooks that we received for, I think it was seventh grade. And all of us were just holding the pages to the light to see what we could read through, you know, <laughs> through the pages that they'd blacked out because we were like, what, what did they think we shouldn't know? You know? And I feel like there's, um, there is this thing around sex where most of us have anxiety about the things we don't know, the things we think we shouldn't know, the things we feel about sex that we think are wrong. And it all kind of stems from this poor sex education, in my opinion. So, yeah, I was always just curious, and and then I found this to be really (laughs) unfair. 
I, I think a lot of people who listen to this podcast and, and have some knowledge of what SHIP does uh, would agree with you. They'd also agree with, um, based on your experience there, that we're still experiencing that. We're still experiencing people going through textbooks and telling you know uh, others what they should and shouldn't be teaching, uh, particularly their youth, um, which of course brings us to what our mission here is at SHIP and what the target audience is in your book, which we will bring up shortly, um, which is which is millennials, which I happen to belong to that that group of people. I tip of the spear millennial, if you will. Um, and in the North, it was really no different. Um, you know, we did have sex education, at least in the public school system that I uh, went through. And, you know, sex education was was really only a couple hours of the total curriculum, you know, it was really kind of shoved in there with physical education. Uh, and, and you didn't really learn much. It wasn't abstinence only. Um, but but you learned the basics, but it was also that, you know, we're teaching you this if you decide to do this, but you really shouldn't do it as well. And yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. You grow up wondering, you know, should I be doing something, you know, and it, it builds that, you know, that shame and that guilt in you, which is then reinforced if you're a church going person uh, and they have those particular views. And it, it's, you know, you get to be an adult and you have to have those conversations with your children, but you have no idea where to start. Or conversations with your partner, you know, um, that I think is, is really remarkable that you can grow up in a climate that tells you, okay, these are the conditions where sex is okay. You know, you, you're in a committed, monogamous, married relationship. And even when that criteria is met, it's not like a switch gets flipped and you automatically know how to talk about sex with your partner. You have to then reacclimate and like readjust to the fact that like, oh no, we are in the conditions where this is okay. And that process, I've definitely worked with clients who had to really make strides to be like, no, I, I can do this now, you know? And, and so the harm that is done to us around our sexualities from a very young age and you mentioned religion. I mean, in the South and the Bible Belt, it, it was just rampant. You know, the the messages that people received about what was right or wrong or what was going to send you to hell for doing or thinking, thinking even, you know, so I have clients who don't like that they think certain things or have fantasies about certain things. And it it takes time to readjust or recognize that you know there is nothing harmful in having sexual thoughts and you might benefit from expanding even you know your idea of when and how and with whom sex can take place it's very freeing once you get to that place but it's it's a daunting journey to do on your own yeah you you said particularly you know communicating with your with your partner what you like and what you don't like you know if you don't know yourself how do you convey that to to someone that you're supposed to be uh or that you i shouldn't say supposed to be um that sounds totally wrong um but that you want to share that that intimacy connection with um so you mentioned that at, in your introduction that you you do work as a as a sex coach um what drew you into into working with clients in that capacity yeah, I think, you know, my, my middle school self was very indignant about the, the lack of sex education that I got. Um, I ended up volunteering at the local HIV AIDS clinic, the like free clinic in my hometown. 
And I met with the like director there and I was like, how do I have your job? You know, I really was like a go-getter and wanted to be involved somehow in like correcting this thing that I thought was wrong. Um, and he told me that he had a degree in psychology. And so I started at um, college with that degree in mind, but then corrected like course, um, I really felt like public health was the way that I wanted to go and eventually came back to psychology, to the study of psychology for my master's. But I think what's interesting is that, you know, my kind of formative years were learning about public health and also learning about feminism, learning about equality across all walks of life you know, because essentially that's what feminism is, you know, learning about intersectionality and how systems of oppression affects people differently, depending on their experience. And I finally felt seen, you know, in like my college classes. So there was, there was like a, an awakening that was happening in me that I found really profound and it took me a while, but I came back around to, okay, this, this kind of core, goal or mission in my life, which was to undo what had been done to people with regards to this poor sexual education system that most of us have throughout the world. And what I really wanted to do was impact people on, you know, a a personal level and and work with people one-on-one. I do love teaching classes, but there's something about like the personal transformation, the watching clients over several months and that arc of, you know, coming in, them coming in with a lot of guilt and shame to straight up telling me at the end, like, I have no sexual shame. Like, (laughs) I'm always surprised when that happens, but I'm like, fuck yeah. Like, that is the goal. I I think that's one of the things, right? When you you teach a class, you don't know, you know, once they leave, you don't know who you've actually touched and and what they've taken away from that. But when you have that one-on-one time, you know, and it's maybe if it's if it's one off, you, you wish them the best. But if it's a repetitive thing, I, I imagine that you get to see that progression uh, as they as they move through sessions with you. That's right. And it's a little bit different than therapy. So I'm not with my clients, you know, for years on end. Like we really do work together for a few months. And just the transformation that can happen in that time period is is astonishing for me. Because, you know, it did take me basically, I mean, I'm still a work in progress when it comes to my sexual development. And I believe all my clients are in that process too. But it took me from college to, you know, 31 to really like figure out, okay, I wanted to, I want to make this a priority. And I even had like a reckoning of stepping into that role for myself because I had a different career in cultural exchange and like, that is very easy to explain to friends and family, you know? Um, so pivoting to something where you're like, yeah, I'm a sex coach. I like help people have better sex. Um, there's a lot of questions about <laughs> how I do that. And, you know, like what, you know, what kind of boundaries I have in place, et cetera. Um, I had a podcast for many years where I interviewed people about their sex lives. And my mom, when I first like put it out, was like, I can't believe you used your real name, you know? And that kind of stuff was really important to me, actually. You know, it's important that I didn't have a pseudonym, that it was just me and I had, like, my identity tied up into this thing. Like, I was I was committing 100%. So, yeah, Maisha Battle, sex coach, here I am. <laughs> I think that's great to be as open as you are about it. Um, 
one thing I wanted to ask too, you know, we, we talked a little bit about, you know, you don't, it's not like therapy, right? You don't see, you don't see people for, for years and, and work through things that way. Um, what is it like being a sex coach today? You know, where, you know, you said you're a work in progress. I would, I would concur that myself, I'm a work in progress. I think we have to be, you know, at least on this podcast, we've had folks who are millennials. We've had folks who are, you know, a little bit, uh, further along in their, in their ages. Um, and you know, what I enjoy today, I might not enjoy in 10 years. I might not enjoy in 20 years. Um, my body may not move in certain ways as I get older, so I can't do a thing that I like. Um, but also, you know, our environment changes as well. You know, where we, where we live, what the values are in that particular area, or, or you know, um, even the, the political nature of, of an area. Um, so what's it like to, being a sex coach today? Yeah, I mean, it, it floors me that I have seen clients, you know, from coast to coast here in the US and then, you know, have had clients all over the world. And, you know, the problems are pretty much all the same, you know, when you boil them down. Um, I think that what's been amazing over the last few years is just the integration of the virtual workplace and and telemedicine and things like that so you know i used to tell people when i worked with them in person like okay if you were a fly on the wall in a therapist's office and, and in my office it would look the same you know especially for clients who might be like sex coach like or what are you gonna like watch me or you know what's going on um so i give people that kind of analogy of it is a talk-based practice at least in my practice not all sex coaches are talk-based. There's a way, a range of ways that um, sex coaches work with clients, but for me, it's talk-based. So it looks very similar to a therapy session. We talk. I think where the um, the difference lies is in the the how. You know how I work with clients. So the focus is not on the past so much, although I do start with my clients with a sexual history and assessment. Um, but that's really the only time that we look back in time so much, um, because really with coaching, as in with life coaching, career coaching, any kind of coaching, the focus is the future, you know, where do you want to be, um, how, and, and my job is to really guide you in the practice of how you get there. So my company, when I launched in 2016, I named it sex for life because, number one, Maisha means life. Um, so it's kind of sex for me, I guess. Now that I think about it, it's kind of weird. But um, but I also embrace this idea of, you know, we, we are ever-changing sexual beings. And so luckily I've had the experience of working with people, you know, while they're dating. And then a couple years later, like working with them when they're part of a partnership. And I really try to impress upon people like, I am your sex coach for life. Like whenever there's an issue, just as you would with a therapist, you know, who you've developed a, a very personal relationship with, I want you to turn to me in those times when you need this kind of support. And because people do have that notion like, oh, I'm, I'm just, you know, working with Maisha for three months at a time, it does seem more manageable too to just sort of like, recognize when you need help and then have somebody that you know you can turn to for that specific issue and um yeah so that's how how it looks um i also do practice on a telemedicine platform so 
I do have some of those like one-off experiences and shorter um, sessions, but for the most part in my private practice, I see clients for three months to start and we meet every other week because another thing that I love about coaching is that it's very action-based. So I want to give my clients plenty of time to do the homework assignments, which could be anything from reading to, you know, doing exercises with a partner with my dating clients, it might be like, let's make some tweaks to your profile and see how they are working to improve the quality of your matches, those types of things. And so it takes a little time for those um, actions to, to take action. And so two weeks seems to be a good time in between sessions for, uh, for most of my clients. So yeah, it's, it's a cool process and it's taken some time to kind of figure out like what mine is, my particular coaching style, but as I mentioned before, I love seeing that arc from beginning to to end, but it really isn't an end. It's just like the beginning of something else, right? Right. So I have actually two questions that have come to mind um, while you were while you were talking there, and, and the last one you you mentioned style. So what makes mm-hmm. working with you in in uh, I guess a unique experience as opposed to working with anybody else? What what is a Maisha session? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I do try to meet my my people. <laughs> I was gonna say my clients, but like my people, uh, my people where they are, and that does come from my feminist training. You know, um, I love it when I get the feedback that people don't feel judged working with me. There is very little that I have heard in my practice that causes me alarm you know, and you certainly wouldn't read it on my face if it did cause me alarm. I know the importance of being that sounding board because so many of us have had the experience of you tell a friend, you tell a partner something deep and intimate about yourself and you can see on their face that they are rejecting that. (laughs) You know, they're not into whatever you just told them. And we learn very quickly as human beings that, okay, I'll, I'll never tell another person this thing about me ever again. And so my practice is really based on giving people the space to say the things that maybe have been unsaid or say the things that they have pain around expressing and to be that sort of blank canvas. It's like, okay, what else you got? You know, keep, keep telling me because that's when we do learn to um, shed some of the layers of shame around our desires and around who we are as sexual beings, you know, when we are met with complete openness. And that's not really something that we get on a day-to-day basis. So there's that. Sorry, there's an alarm. No, that's okay. (laughs) Can you hear it? Yes, I can. That's okay. Okay. so I think that's one thing that probably most sex coaches are able to do, but not all. Um, I would hope that they would all be as open and, and able to, to take in any number of things. But from my experience, too, just being around other sex coaches, we all have our, our edges, right? You know, we all have things that maybe are outside of our comfort zone. But I think for me, because... I have grown up my whole life like in queer spaces, that I have a community that's incredibly diverse, that 
you know, um, I do tend to want to interrogate the layers of race and gender and socioeconomics and all of those things in the practice of sex. Because I think, you know, we can't parse those things out in a clear and easy way. They need to be sifted through and understood with a little bit of nuance. Um, and yeah, frankly, I think some people aren't prepared to go there, you know? Uh, and I, I love going there. I have a lot of Scorpio in my chart. So <laughs> I love digging deep. So, you know, you, you get pretty open with your clients. Um, they have to be pretty open with you as well. And I imagine, you know, a number of things could come up in your conversations. You know, and especially if someone's going to, you know, you're going to be peeling back layers of, of who they are and, and why they feel a particular way to get past whatever their concerns or their issues are. Um, do you go through a vetting process at all? In terms of whether my clients are like coachable, quote unquote? I, yeah, that's that's one possible way to look at it. Another one too, you know, just someone that, you know, not only do they have to feel safe with you as, as a coach and um, but you also have to feel safe with them as a client, I imagine. Absolutely. Yeah. So I have a 30 minute consultation and it's just that, you know, it's, it's a way for me to learn more about them just as much as it is for me to share with them my process and how I like to work with people. And it's really up to us, you know, whether or not we feel that we want to continue working together or that we want to start working together rather, um, so there have been cases where people have come to me with a lot of unresolved trauma, and that's not an area where I can be of support. I know that. I have really clear guardrails. I have straight up, like, had a consultation with someone, and this has happened, you know, a, quite a few times, a handful of times, I should say. It never came up that there was a history of trauma or, you know, maybe that wasn't something that they thought was impacting them. And as soon as we get to that point of like, this is what happened, this is what, you know, that unfolding might happen because they feel safe with me. And that's when I make a referral to a mental health practitioner. Um, what I will say is that I have tons of clients who come to me who have done some work on trauma, who feel like they want to be more proactive. They're like, yeah, 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 I know I've got this stuff, you know, and I... I'm kind of tired of talking about it. Like I want to do things differently now. I'm ready to, to take action. And that's, I think, a place where a coach can be of, of great help, especially if that person continues to see a mental health practitioner along with me. So I love that. I love being part of a, a kind of cohort that supports the, the health and well-being of a client. Um, tons of my clients have me as well as an individual therapist. When I work with couples, sometimes each one of them has an individual therapist. They have a couples therapist. They have, you know, psychedelic healing journey, like gurus, like th there's just, you know, there's a whole ecosystem to support their health and well-being. So I do love being part of that. Yeah, I, I think, you know, we, we all want that easy button, that one person we can go to. But when we're dealing with things like this, I think, you know, we have to recognize that the, it often isn't just one thing. It's not just they need help with, you know, sexual education and coaching. Oftentimes there could be trauma involved. There could be other mental health issues. So it's, you know, it really takes a team, I think, sometimes to work through all of that. And I think we just need to take a moment to recognize that, that, you know, you can't call up Myesha and be like, 
you can solve all my problems. Let's get to it. <laughs> That's right. And I, I do take the, um, the kind of approach that like I can guide, but I can't heal. You know, I am not a healer. Um, people heal themselves. And, you know, I think finding the right people to support that healing is really the key. So I, I kind of chalk this up to two things. I think that my education through Sex Coach U gave me permission to, you know, say, this is out of my depths. I'm, I'm, I'm not equipped to deal with this type of client. So that was great. And then I think also have, having, and I think also having had my background in psychology, that has given me guardrails when I'm working with clients. So, you know, I know folks uh, usually aren't coming to you because they're in a great place, you know, sexually. Um, we talked a little bit about, you know, boundaries and vetting. Um, and we, we did talk briefly about, you know, hearing from folks who, who got better and, and you being able to see their progression. Um, but there's a lot of work that goes on in between all of those times. What are some of the challenges that you've experienced in the work that you do? Hmm. Yeah, I think that unfortunately some of the challenges that i've had have been working with clients who kind of see me as like a last ditch effort to confirm that they're not good or worthy and um that's always a bummer to me i think that yeah and it it, it it's hard on a practitioner level even though i know it's out of my control i do the best that i can but I think sometimes like people come to me in such a state of, you know, disillusionment and I can't do this. And I'm just, I'm just going to have that validated by a professional, which I never straight up. I'm like, you're a hopeless cause. I don't, I don't believe in hopeless causes, but that doesn't mean that some of my clients in the past haven't thought like, I'm not worthy of this. And I'm just going to like say, check. I've gone to a dating coach. I've gone to a sex coach. I've tried all the things. Um, you know, part of being coachable, quote unquote coachable is, is being open to the process of transformation and change. And not everybody is, is willing, even though they say they are, which I take everybody at face value. Right. I think that's important to, you know, I don't know, there, there could be maybe a harder sell, uh, version of sex coaching out there that's like, you're not ready. Come back to me when you're ready to, you know, change your life. Um, that's not me. Uh, I, I try to, again, work from wherever my clients are coming from and see what little progress we can make. And I think with those clients, I did make a little bit of progress, but I, I, it, it leaves me feeling unfulfilled when I know, oh, you know, the walls were so up. You know, the guards were so strong against this ever making an impact. So, and it, it goes back to my, my previous comments about how I don't heal people, you know, they heal themselves. So if you're unwilling to do the healing, do the work, um, it can be really hard to see any change or transformation in your life. And then the last question I have, and then we're going to get to your book is, what helps propel you forward? What, what makes you go back to work every day? Hmm. Yeah. I can't think of myself doing anything else, honestly. I mean, there's a lot of things that if you told me, okay, Maisha, 
this, you know, uh, this is now a parallel universe. And in this universe, everyone has received a fantastic sex education. There, there are no concerns about sexual communication. There's no rape culture here. <laughs> you know, that doesn't exist. Everyone grows up to be like fruitful, very accepting, loving sexual beings. Then I would be kind of at a loss. Um, but I think, I, but I think I could come up with something that I could do. But knowing how ubiquitous these problems are, and knowing how passionate I am about upending some of the structures that have kept a lot of people trapped in like mind prisons when it comes to sex. <laughs> um, I, I just don't know what else I would do. Um, I do think that um, a good segue into, into the book, because I met him on Tinder. Um, I, I think a good, uh, another reason why I do this work is because I have a really great partner who supports my work and, um, you know, does provide a great like sounding board for me and my work. And so, you know, I have my own therapist. He's not my therapist. I have, you know, groups that I attend to help me heal myself. But I think having, um, the consistency of a partnership and, um, and somebody who believes in me is also really helpful because not everybody knows what a sex coach does. You know, it's a lot, it's a lot of education just on that front. And sometimes it can feel like a lot to take on, but it's, it's worth it every day to do it just for the reasons that I mentioned. That's fantastic. So you have a new book available. Uh, so new in fact this year. Uh, this is supposed to be fun. How to find joy in hooking up, settling down, and everything in between. Um, let's get into it a little bit. Can you tell us the origin story uh, of the book and what folks can expect from it? Yes, I was doing Q&As on Instagram. And there was this recurring theme of how can I be a more intentional dater? It seems like the you know chips are stacked against us in in this area especially it, folks that are using apps for dating so you know how how can we be more intentional in picking partners in using the apps managing our time being more present and yeah this is stuff that i was working with clients on and it just seemed like a natural progression especially for my work and trying to get the word out that I would embark on writing a book that could encapsulate the way that I work with clients. So I thought of this as a way to sort of distill down what I do with clients over the period of three months that I work with them and kind of pick out the highlights of, you know, what are the exercises that really move the needle for people and understanding themselves, their desires, their motivations, and what are the big sort of aha moments that my clients get and how can I present that in book form so that other people don't have to like struggle through it so much. Um, that was the intention. And so far, I mean, the book's been out for about a month. I've been getting great, um, 
you know, consultations with people who are like, this has given me hope again, <laughs> you know, uh, like the feedback has been really great so far. Um, and I hope that it continues to be. Well, I didn't get an advanced copy with this podcast, so I haven't gotten a chance oh, to no. read it. <laughs> uh, I'm sure uh, both myself and my partner would be interested in, in reading it and uh, just, you know, seeing seeing how the book is. Um, who's, yeah, we need to hook that up. Who is the book for? The book is for anyone who's struggling with modern dating. Um, so I have been speaking to people in their 20s up to their 60s so far. I haven't had anybody over like 65 reach out. But I listen, if you are engaged in the apps and you feel demoralized, this book is for you. <laughs> um, uh, and that's whether you're looking for sex long-term partnership, multiple partners, you know, if you are dating a different type of person for the first time in your life, you know, some of my clients are exploring their sexuality through dating and, you know, testing a potential new identity for themselves. This book would be great for you as well. If that's something that you feel you're at a crossroads with, just knowing that there are others before you who you know, have been using dating as this way to sort of understand their sexual needs, desires, and relationship wants and needs. This is this is the book for you. Okay, so if I want a copy of this book, where do I have to go? Oh, you can go to Seal Press and get it. But also, I mean, it's everywhere. I, I've been really happy with my publisher that it is everywhere. My friends have been sending me pictures. It's at the public library. It's um, I heard from a friend who was at her public library in Newburyport, Massachusetts, tiny little town, um, that it's in their public library. So yeah, check it out, like literally check it out of the library. It's also an audible and I narrate. So that's very exciting for me because I love audiobooks and um, I love audio as a medium as well. So yeah, the only thing with that, I've heard some feedback is that, and I knew this going in, but there's a lot of exercises. So, you know, sometimes it is helpful to have the book, to have the prompts in front of you. Um, but but for those who are audio files like myself, um, it is nice to, to listen to as well. I, I think it's great that it's already in a public, you know, in several public libraries. Uh, I think that's fantastic. Yeah. It definitely opens up, you know, those who, who might have difficulty buying the book themselves um, and more people should get back to public libraries, I think. Yes, the second half of the book was written in a public library. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> yes. So a couple more questions I have for you, and then I'll let you go. Um, but where do you see your work evolving in the in the coming years and months? Yeah, I mean, I fortunately have had really good feedback from the book. Um, and I am like, very open to media stuff. I love podcasting. So been in talks with developing potentially a podcast around the book um, or, you know, something that's in the vein of an advice show uh, that I would love to get back to. Um, but I also have a book two in mind. And book two is going to be looking at the intersections of where we are in feminism, how that's playing out in the bedroom, and the challenges of technology within partnerships when it comes to sex. 
So I'm thinking about OnlyFans. I'm thinking about Instagram pages that people follow. I'm thinking about sex tech that is uh, ever evolving. And yeah, there's not really a cultural conversation around this yet. And I'm excited to dig in. That book, I hope to be a little bit more um, research-based. But yeah, those are those are kind of the things that are percolating in my brain these days. I think that's those are excellent topics. I was as you were mentioning some of those, I'm thinking, you know, there are a lot of things out there these days that are just kind of been pushed out onto the market without much conversation about what they are and how they impact our our physical in person interactions with those that we want to be intimate with. That's I think that's great. Um, if we can pick your brain. What is one hot tip about dating or sex that you can share with our listeners, either from your book or from your work more broadly? Yeah, I think the the hot tip is that there are as many ways to be sexual and be received sexually as there are people on the planet. I think we tend to, and I've done this in my past, dating life as well we tend to think that there's like no one for us because we are so unique which is true everyone is unique but there is a you (laughs) you know you exist and you have this specific group of desires and intentions and attitudes about your sexuality and your sex life there is bound to be someone else or many someones out there who have a complementary or very close, closely related um, set of ideas about sex and how they want to be sexual as well. So, you know, get out of your head that there's no one out there for you. You'll never have a great sex life. You're so unique. That is, you know, it's nice maybe to think about or maybe comforting or maybe helps us to stay put um and and maybe like give up a little bit but i encourage people to not do that uh because if you exist then there are others like you out there that's why i'm a big proponent of finding your community maybe not for you know sexual purposes but maybe depends on what you like um because community can help us to see ourselves and help us to feel less alone in our desires So yeah, if you're the only one in your friend group who's single right now, it might be difficult to sort of see yourself in the experiences of all your friends who are like settling down and like thinking about family and all that stuff. You got to find people who are in the same headspace as you and are interested in the kinds of experiences that you're, you're looking for as well. And they may open doors to potential partners for you. So and, yeah, and, and less, it certainly might. Uh, yeah, it, I mean, and it certainly might take some time and some work, but I'm sure it's it's worth it in the end. Yes, and we all just could benefit from being less siloed, you know, less head down, fingers on the phone, you know, lifestyle. We need to be head up and looking around and curious about what's out there. And then the last question I have for you is and this is a question we we often get at ship and that is about resources and sources of information so do you have any trusted uh sources of information um that's related to your field or just in general on sexual education that people can turn to oh yes so i was an educator on all bodies 
And I know they're going through a transition, but if you go there now, there's a bunch of classes that I love taught by myself, taught by other sex educators and um, leaders in their fields. Um, but I teach specifically classes about sex. So you can learn about orgasms for men, for women, penis havers, vulva havers. Um, I talk about role playing. I talk about um, kink, like intro to kink. There's just a lot of stuff there that I think is really valuable. Um, and like I said, they're going through a transition. So I don't know how long the website's going to be up, <laughs> but, but they're there now. Um, and I refer people to to those classes often, even my clients. I'll be like, hey, you want to deep dive into this thing that we're exploring together? Take my class and then we can, we can talk more about it. But um, also things that I think are important to know about, like, you know, uh, anybody who experiences imbalances in your genital area, like bacterial vaginosis or UTIs, things like that. Like we do not get enough information about, you know, what to look for, how to treat these things, um, how to be more gentle with our genitalia. So yeah, fantastic classes uh, uh, that are very vast and very varied um, on allbodies.com. Fantastic. And where can people find more Maisha? You have social medias, you have websites. Yes. So everything you need to know can be found on MaishaBattle.com. I forgot to plug my own resource, but you can find it on my website. Um, I just launched a few months ago a monthly e-zine that is called Better Sex. And it is a resource for people who want something delivered to their inbox every month that helps them think more critically about themselves sexually. There are like helpful little quizzes and assessments, but also um, an advice column that I offer. So check that out on my website as well. But all the socials are on myishabattle.com as well as a link to my book, all of that. And we'll encourage our listeners to look up uh, both myishabattle.com and looking into the book, This is Supposed to be Fun, How to Find Joy in Hooking Up, Settling Down, and Everything in Between. Myisha, it was a pleasure speaking with you today. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, everyone. SHIP will never stop creating spaces that provide opportunities to engage in candid, shame-free conversations about sexuality, and we are committed to building a more sexually literate society so that more of these spaces can exist. In order to do that, we need your help. Consider joining the Sex Ed Squad by visiting weknowship.org. Our Sex Ed Squad members are the very foundation of our work, because changing our sex-negative culture requires a long-term strategy in your long-term investment. All gifts, no matter the size, have an impact. Thank you for listening to Virgin Territory. This podcast is produced by the Ship Communications Committee and me, your host. A big thank you to our sponsors and donors and you, our listeners. You can visit Ship online at weknowship.org. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching We Know Ship, and we hope you'll consider joining our sex ed squad.